All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. And SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark. Now, I've got a great guest on the line. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to give you sort of the intent of the podcast, kind of the why are we here, so to speak. And we're here to work out our hardships, our tribulations, our trials, and share our expertise in such a way that we can kind of begin to unfold our plan and purpose for our lives. And you may be listening and you may be thinking, well, Dustin, that's great and all, but why do I need to listen to Scar? And the truth is, is that we all have stuff. We all have hardships and trials and things that can begin to accumulate in our lives. And they can even begin to change the trajectory of our lives if we allow them to do so. So that's exactly why you need to be tuned in to SCAR to have a safe place that we can come share our stories and hardships and all of that and begin to uncover uh, kind of the why are we here, so to speak. And so uh, with all of that being said, I want to introduce to you a great guest, Miss Debbie Emick to the show. Please say hello, Debbie. Hi, Dustin. I'm so Yes. Yes. We are excited to have you here. Now, at the moment of the podcast, we are uh, just about two days shy, a couple days shy from going into the new year here. And so, at the recording of this podcast, and uh, our listeners will hear it um, just a little after the new year. So, what's the weather like there in beautiful Colorado? Well, it is beautiful today. It's slightly chilly, though. Um, the sun is shining, so we're below freezing, and there's some snow on the ground, but there's beautiful sunlight coming through the window as I'm looking out now. So Awesome, awesome. Well, you, you know, super excited. I've, I've said before on this podcast, I absolutely love Colorado one day. Uh, that will be my stomping ground. So uh, super excited to have you on here, Deb. You have got uh, an amazing story of overcoming and uh, struggles and and hardship. We kind of tapped into a little bit of that in our conversation uh, before we jumped on here. So if we could back up a little bit and just uh, share with us um, a little of your background, Deb, a little bit of, of, of how you got here. Dustin starts a little over 10 years ago. Um, I was a classroom teacher for about 14 years, had my youngest daughter, who's now 10, and started having a lot of health issues that I couldn't ignore anymore. And that began this long path through navigating tests and diagnoses. Um, So I have several autoimmune diagnoses and chronic illnesses. And in my search for being able to control that, I, I started um, trying to do, do some things to help my health. So focusing on what I was eating and how I was exercising my fitness and those kinds of things. And eventually um, felt like maybe the stress in my life was contributing to, to my disease or, or 
the, the lack of health I was experiencing. And so I left my job thinking that would solve all of my problems. And it wasn't until after that that I found that in a really deep dark place and um and where I'm at now was just my attempt to climb out of that darkness and not go back so I I I really can connect to this to this story Deb and and um, give us a little insight as to what kind of autoimmune disease or chronic illnesses um, um, what are some examples of, of of what the doctors were telling you sure so um, you know Autoimmune diseases are sort of this long, tricky, winding road of diagnosis. Um, but my test eventually showed that I have something called mixed connective tissue disease. There are markers in, in blood for that. And one of mine is, is lupus, and the other is an overlapping disease called relapsing polychondritis that attacks specifically cartilage in, in my body. And mine had attacked the cartilage in my lung, my lung sorry, so that um, I had this severe collapse in my lung, what they call it when you're when you're breathing in and breathing out, the cartilage keeps your trachea and bronchioles open so that you can get air in and out. And mine was collapsing. And um, it looked like, you know, the health trajectory for that was not going to be a good one. Yeah. And, and then it just keeps going with autoimmune diseases, more and more diagnosis. And I would say my most recent one is something called pulmonary hypertension, which I'm, I believe, you know, I don't actually have, but I, I have been diagnosed, which causes heart failure eventually. So those are kind of the, the things I was faced with looking at um, a shorter life expectancy and yeah. maybe a, a lesser quality of life than I had envisioned for myself. So you started this this journey of kind of trying to figure out what's going on here. You kind of came to the conclusion of possibly stress. Uh, maybe that was mm-hmm. it. Um, uh, what kind of led you to that conclusion? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, my rheumatologist at the time, I had an appointment with her and we were chatting and um, she said, well, it's too bad that you have to work. Uh, the implication being that um, maybe the stress from my work was causing some of the health issues. When I first started going down this path of diagnosis, I took, I would take those words as um, an insult almost, like like it, what I was feeling wasn't really real or it was all in my head, right? But when she said those words to me, it really clicked. And I started to ask myself if I had to work. Um, And then I just started to examine um, what I really had to do and what I was choosing to do based on, you know, society's expectations, my husband's expectations, my family's expectations, my own, you know, very high expectations of myself. And, and I, you know, that was the first step in really questioning all of those things for sure. And I, I really thought like the only stress in my life was my job, which was very stressful. I, I won't discredit that, but I, I really thought leaving that job would just solve all of my problems with stress for sure. So once you, once you kind of came to that um, decision and you, and you exit um, the, the school system, 
you find yourself at home now. And you said you mentioned you went into a deep, dark place. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me kind of uh, what, what did that feel like? What do you mean by deep, dark place? You know, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. So that was the first thing. Like, leaving my job will allow me to be a stay-at-home mom, and it will also reduce this stress that I felt was imposed upon me by my by my work. And so I started right away homeschooling my youngest daughter and staying home and cooking and cleaning and doing all of these things that I thought um, I would find purpose and I had always had the desire to do and now I have the time and energy to do it as well as take care of my health and um, what I found was uh, maybe a lack of purpose in that in that I had tied up so much of my purpose in this career that I had had for so long that I didn't I didn't feel that I was maybe enough without that and just realizing the role my ego had played in my sense of purpose. And then I came to this other realization that, you know, my family could actually, they were old enough now, they they were self-sufficient enough that they could cook and clean. They could do those things without me. So what would happen if I was gone? Mm. And um, asking myself that question was the beginning of that dark scary place and that it was like they don't need someone around to cook and clean for them you know they are perfectly self-sufficient and here I was still struggling with all these health issues I had tried so hard to change and we had really changed our life um to to make me healthy and that wasn't working and I just felt like well it might be easier if I was gone there wouldn't be these doctor's appointments and medical bills and all of these things to worry about with my health and so that that is what I described as that dark moment I never really played out like um ending my life but I definitely started going down a road of Maybe it would be better if I wasn't here. Yeah, I, you know, I can, I can certainly um, relate to that. I, you know, it's not that it's not quite a feeling of thinking about harming yourself, other than, other than, hey, this would just be better if I if I wasn't even born, like if I wasn't even here. Yeah. Yeah, and and definitely. and and so I can I can I can kind of uh, see where you're where you're going with that. At what point did you realize? Okay, this isn't normal, Deb. This isn't this isn't like uh, I'm either going to sink or swim here, and I need to start digging my way out. Take me sort of kind of through that climb of what that looked like for you. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, I think that I was in that um, darkness for a while without ever realizing it or understanding it. It was like a winter, and at least in my memory, it feels like when I came out of that winter, and it was definitely a metaphorical winter as yeah. well, you know, um, I I could look now at myself in retrospect, and I just went, whoa. Um, that, you know, that's not good. And then I started 
to question how I got there. And I, ultimately, I had to make the choice that I never wanted to go back there again. So whether, you know, I don't know that it needs a title, but whether that's called depression or whether that was, you know, like my dark moment of the soul, I knew that wasn't okay with me and I knew I didn't want to go back there. Yeah. And so the, the steps I took after that were in the hope and in the desire that I would I would come out of it fully and I would never go back there again. And so first it was kind of like, um, well, what if it's just like seasonal affective disorder? And so I started taking vitamin D, right? So I was using these superficial things again to try to heal what was going on inside me. And um, then it was like, what if it's not having a purpose? So I started creating uh, these investment groups. My husband and I are like real estate and investors um and so I created an investment group thinking like oh that will give me a purpose and and it was really just a bit of like stepping toward something I thought might help and then being okay with saying no that that didn't work that isn't what it was and eventually I realized that um I had been sort of holding on to this trauma I went through as a child, these repressed emotions because of my personality type probably and also because I felt like I, I didn't want to or couldn't speak up at the time. Um, and I really started to get this guidance and intuition that that was the work that I needed to unpack that and, and really deal with it and because I had never had. So so help us put help us put on our our Debbie glasses, so to speak, and give us a little, give us a little, um, a little insight into what what the trauma uh, that you're talking about, that you're referring to, um, what was that? What did that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, trauma is such a buzzword right now that I almost don't like to use it, but there's no shame in really using that word, and it best describes kind of. it's able to label this time in my life. So I grew up in a really rural part of Colorado on a ranch with two young, energetic, um, lively parents that were together. We were a cohesive family and eventually that broke. They broke apart um, a couple of times and the second time they never came back together. And what happened is um, you know, the memory is a funny thing, so I'm sure I remember things differently than they remember things, and I'm okay with that now, but um, I think what I told myself and what happened to me was a real sense of abandonment by both parents. So uh. my mom ended up in these very severe codependent relationships with two alcoholic men. Um, one she married right away after the divorce, and the other uh, a few years after that when that marriage broke apart too. And so these people became my, you know, my mom and dad. And my dad wasn't really around then. He wasn't present. And they fought over things like child support and who would visit when. And so through the course of that, I really ended up not having a relationship with my father. And, um, and being around these alcoholic men a lot. And there were a couple of times that my my friend's parents stepped in and asked 
me to live with them instead. So it was kind of like they could see what was going on. It was really unhealthy. Um, and I was dealing with it in not very healthy ways as well, like withdrawing, um, not eating enough, really trying to control my food. And so I started looking kind of sickly. And, and I'm lucky that I had a friend's dad come and ask me if I wanted to live with them. And so that was one time. And then there was another time when I was a little older in high school that I lived with a friend again. And through the course of that, I never really processed those emotions or dealt with them. Mm. I never talked to my parents about them. I never, um, I never told them, you know, that it, I was upset about it. I was really um, big on forgiveness. So I just forgave and move on, moved on. But I feel now in retrospect, you know, that forgiveness was superficial yeah. and those, uh, those emotions I was experiencing um, just became trapped inside me um, because so, I didn't want to process or deal with them, right? So, of course, and, and so I can understand that. And so now now that, that you've kind of uncovered, hey, whoa, there's this kind of dark winter happening as you described it. I think that was a great, great description. There's this going on. Uh, I have these trapped emotions that I never really dealt with and don't know what to do, how to do. Uh, where did you turn? What what happened after that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, a lot of places. And luckily I was led to um, meditation. And I've always prayed, and so I've always leaned on God in that way. Um, and I just started to allow myself to just be aware of the emotions and be aware of the things I was saying and not continue to try to sequest, like squash them down, yeah. you know, or deny them. And uh, there's a chiropractor in my town. It's a really small town. Um, and, and probably because of that, she's called a chiropractor, but maybe in a different community, she would be called a healer or something like that. But I went to her and I was looking for some probiotics, um, thinking that would heal me, you know? So I'm always looking for like these superficial things. And so the next thing was like getting a probiotic supplement. And she just opened up this, this place in me that I had sort of forgotten was there. And that was kind of the first step. Um, I, I would call it like a somatic type of therapy technique. She didn't call it that, but now in retrospect, that's what it was. And sort of took me back to these places in my life that I had never dealt with. And she became sort of like a pseudo therapist and, and she opened that up. And then I went around sort of looking for skeptics. You know, I came home and told my husband, like, this is what she did. And she wants me to talk about this. And um, I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to go back. I mean, like, dealing with those things is scary and uncomfortable and not fun. And I had sort of... Um, guarded myself with perfectionism and people pleasing and I would call that my addiction or my drug of choice and I couldn't go through dealing with these emotions and also look perfect yeah. or also continue to please everyone right but my husband he didn't give me permission to stop or he didn't say no you shouldn't do it he said why not try it like you've tried everything else why not go back and so um she really 
began to help me like uncover these emotions and then I just had to become aware of them on my own first and not decide that it was bad to let myself feel and experience it them and then sort of intuitively go toward what was next. So a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer, a lot of journaling. There's a lot of um, research out there that journaling for 20 minutes a day for consecutive days on some repressed emotions or trauma can be just as effective as going to a psychologist. I'm not at all, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not recommending that one you know, person do one or the other, but that's what was available to me. And so through writing it down and just allowing myself to follow you know, God's guidance and intuition, I was able to become aware of the emotions and then process them. So it was like first a lot of anger and resentment came out and I let that come out. And then it was more towards stepping towards healing and growth from that and using that to, to become, you know, what God or what my purpose here on earth is. You know, that prayer and meditation time is, is, is huge. What I'm really particularly interested in here uh, is, okay, you tried medical diagnosis. You tried, I'm sure, medical treatments, all of those different things. What do you think it was about this holistic approach that was the difference maker? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I was surprised by it, first of all. And so, I, you know, it wasn't like I was walking into something with my guard up because I, that's not what I expected at all. And then it just got right to the heart of it. So it wasn't like sitting in a chair and trying to process things for years. It was just using my, my body's own nervous system to kind of get back to and underneath uh what it was what it was hiding and so since then i've learned a lot about the nervous system and i can kind of see that my nervous system was in this constant state of fight or flight right i had trained it to be that way through my dealings with stress but also through the trauma i went through when i was developing you know at the age of 11 and 12 and 13 and then as a teenager and so um I was in this sort of like fight or flight mode with my nervous system and I think this allowed that to be seen and to be processed and then um once you see something you can't unsee it you know so as much as I wanted to like stuff it back down and not deal with it it was really clear that that it needed to be dealt with. I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but it's definitely a combination of a lot of things and also that I was just coming into this awareness at the same time, right? I was finding like meditation at the same time that I was seeing this doctor and and so it was all these things um, sort of converging at the right moment, at the right time. I'm sure God leading me there and to her, I really feel like, you know, she was an answer to prayer. And so then just deciding to do the work and keep moving through it. So you're pretty keen on this this holistic approach. Can you explain exactly what you mean by by holistic intervention, holistic medicine? Uh, uh, what what um, or treatment or whatever? Can, can you explain that a little bit? 
sure. Um, you know, I think that since I've been diagnosed with some autoimmune diseases, I've learned that a diagnosis isn't really important, but I, I, I don't think that's one of the things you can tell someone um, when they're feeling sick and hurt and tired, right? And so people knowing that I was going through this sort of gave them permission to come to me and ask me what I was doing and and what I was doing that might be helping me feel better and how I got diagnosis because that's a really difficult thing to do in the autoimmune world. Um, and I learned that um, so many people feel sick and feel tired and are hurting and they're just looking for answers and help. And the first person we go to for answers and help are doctors, right? Right. But the longer I was in the medical system, the more I realized that the answers that specialists have are prescriptions. And so there was a time I was taking like nine different prescriptions a day, several times a day. And that was not working. I mean, it just I was feeling worse, not better. And so slowly, it took time, you know, but slowly I tried to peel back those things and do things that I thought were healthy that would, you know, lead to health in my body and also help. And and now I see them as more superficial. Like maybe eating really healthy isn't easy, but it's simple and I could control that. And so I, I sort of, got to a place where I over-controlled my diet. And maybe exercising every day isn't easy, but it's simple, and I so I could do that. And then I got to a place where I over-controlled my exercise. And so each thing just sort of, sort of added to this, what I see now is like my addiction of perfectionism and people-pleasing. I just constantly try to become a better wife, a better mother, um, look better, act better, you know, make everyone happy. And those things did not work. And, um, and then as I was meditating and praying and seeing my, my chiropractor and, and doing these other things that maybe my, my medical doctors wouldn't have approved of, I was reading books like The Body Keeps the Score. Um, that's Bessel van der Folk. And, another book called When the Body Says No by by another medical doctor. Um, and, and these books, which were maybe lesser known than prescriptions that help autoimmune diseases, gave as much research and evidence for clearing out repressed trauma, repressed emotions, and, and what effect that has on human health. Um, and so I just started to see the connection between these things in our life we don't talk about that can have as great or greater of an effect as prescriptions and pills. So when I say holistic health, I think it's all important. You know, it's not like I don't exercise anymore or it's not like I don't try to put healthy, nutritious food in my mouth. But at the same time, I know that those things are not going to fix everything. And I've learned the hard way that, uh, that what we don't deal with, our body will deal with it in some way. It creates 
a chemical reaction in our nervous system. So there's true medical evidence, you know, of why it harms us. But even if you just look at it from like a spiritual, mystical, um, energetic perspective, there are so many things we can't see that affect us. Um, And so when we don't deal with those things, when we don't process them, our body doesn't know any other way to process them. You know, it does so by releasing chemicals and hormones that have a negative effect on us in the long term. You know, and and what you're saying is so true. I think there's so many different things, seen and unseen, that play a role in our our mental health, our overall physical health. I mean, even silly stuff all the way down to media and social media and all these different type things. Uh, You know, all of this can play into that. Now, let me ask you, what advice, Debbie, do you have for somebody who is struggling from whether it's chronic illness, whatever it is that has tried everything and is just at the end of their doggone rope? What do you... Uh, what do you what do you advise for that person? Okay, uh, that's a really I would love to answer that question super succinctly, but I think it is a longer answer. Okay. The shortest one I can come up with is just become aware. So, like, just be the noticer of yourself, of what you're saying to yourself, of the talk that's going on in your mind right so instead of attaching to what you're hearing yourself say instead of taking your mind's gibberish as truth or fact just notice it and so just that awareness might allow you to see where there's something in your life that needs to be addressed or dealt with the other one i would say is um I'm really lucky that when I had this last diagnosis that I had called um, pulmonary hypertension, I started Googling, of course, because I thought, well, that's not a big deal. And I felt really healthy and I've never had hypertension as in high blood pressure. And so I Googled to figure out what it was and learned that um, it shortened my lifespan to most likely three years from that time of diagnosis. And it, it meant all of these expensive medical bills on the way to, to living for three more years. So that was, a, that was like the closest I felt like I had been confronted with death other than dealing it with dealing with it with other family members. And so I went to the cardiologist that, um, that I was referred to based on that diagnosis. And in my first appointment with him, he didn't write a single prescription, though he pretended he was going to. He got a piece of paper and he wrote, he said, I'm gonna write you a prescription. And he wrote one, two, three, and four. And then he filled it in with these four things that I had just, um, the magic of God, you know, that he is already kind of been working on. And so one was nutrition, essentially, um, like a nutrient-dense diet, uh, he specifically advised like a vegan diet, which I, you know, I don't really want to get into that, but he did say nutrition. And then he said, um, exercise. So I've been diagnosed with all of these chronic illnesses. And one thing I have never had a doctor tell me was to not exercise. I did, I have had medical tests to show that I can handle exercise, but 
always, no matter what, they've said, yes, exercise is good. So even if it's just getting up and walking around. Right. And then he wrote down, he wrote down love and connection. Mm. And I had never had any doctor talk to me about that. But there is plenty of research out there that connection, love, um, if you don't have that in your life, you're much more likely to, to die younger, um, so much more likely than, than people who have like heart disease, diabetes, and some other chronic illness combined. And then the last thing he said was mental health. And he didn't stop there. He wrote it down. And, and I felt like I had been working on that. You know, I told you I'd been going to that chiropractor. I'd been journaling. I had been meditating and praying. I had been doing yoga. So I'd been doing these things that, you know, research has shown are helpful. And they've been helpful to me in, in unexpected ways. But he looked at me in the eye and he said, um, I don't just mean like, go do some yoga or meditate or see a psychologist. He said, I mean, look at the rug, pick it up, shake everything out of it and sweep anything out from under the rug that's there. Wow. And that really hit me hard. Um, cause I had been trying to do that, but I had been really quiet about it. Um, I hadn't really shared with anyone what I was going through and it just really affirmed the work that I was doing. So that's a long answer to your question. No, no, that's to, fantastic. To give a short one to you. That's a great answer. And and so you wrote a book, um, Debbie. Tell tell me about that book. Tell me tell me what it is, um, and and kind of uh, give me the elevator speech, so to speak, if if what what you would hope that, that readers would gain from that. Sure. Um, the book is really about everything we've been talking about. Um, it started out as my process to sort of heal, and then it turned into what I felt like was necessary um, for my for myself to follow through with a commitment to myself to publish it, um, and also like a, a higher hope of helping anyone else struggling in the way that I am struggling. So. Um, it starts out as a way for me to to bring up and process that that repressed trauma that I was talking to you about, and then it moves into how I was able to do that, um, sort of step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter. And at the end of each of those chapters, where I come into the true healing, um, I have some journal prompts to help the reader sort of through these parts of their life that they may be struggling with. So clearly it's for anyone struggling with chronic illness, but also just for anyone that um, might be feeling some depression or some darkness that they don't understand, um, some lack of purpose in in their life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old mother of two daughters, and so I think it speaks to someone my age or someone a little bit younger just beginning to sort of unpack their life and their purpose and, and the meaning of it and any struggles that they're having. Where are you right now, Debbie, on your on your climbing out, on your recovery process? Where would you, if you had to put it on a timeline, where would you say you are right now? Um, I'm feeling sort of light with it and weightless. It's been like just holding this commitment to myself to publish this book um, has brought me through that process 
um, where I've had to be comfortable letting my parents know this is what I'm doing and having real conversations with them about it and that was really weighty and difficult for me for a long time there was definitely a lack of even knowing what I wanted let alone giving myself permission to do it and and following through with that this book has helped me to do that and so while I know you know this process for me has been years in the making I mean essentially started 10 years ago so I'm I feel like I'm much farther along that path than I have ever been I feel um, empowered and confident much more so than I've ever been and also knowing I always have a long way to go I'm still meditating and praying and journaling and and just trying to get guidance for that next step that I'm supposed to take and just coming to new awareness of other things you know that are within me that the desire to be to be worked on or grown or dealt with so I mean the answer is I feel like I'm far ahead from where I began but I know I have so much farther to go you know yeah, and that's and that's all of us. You know, the day that we stop learning is the day we die physically, mentally, and spiritually, a hundred percent. And so we we should always be growing. There's always room for growth and learning and and all of that. Um, what what positives have you seen? Because I want to give people like a ray of hope. People who are struggling, who may be dealing with something right now, a physical ailment, a hardship, a a dark winter, whatever that may be. What are some good things that that have transpired uh, because of this? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I think the big message is we we build up all these fears and this story in our head, and we don't even know if they're true or ask ourselves what would happen if they were necessarily. So I had a lot of fears that were unconscious, right, like, my perfecting and people-pleasing were essentially just ways that I kept people at an arm's length from me so that I wouldn't be abandoned and hurt again. Mm. And I've learned that, you know, the real the, the real connection, the real love comes when we allow ourselves to be seen. And, and we've really addressed those fears. So if people would have stepped away from me because I did that, I know that's what God meant for, you know, me to have in my life or not have in my life. But the beautiful thing that came from it is those fears, like, would I push my mom away or my dad away? Because we still have relationships today. Didn't come true. And my husband, who I married at a totally different time in my life, when I was a an overworker and a people pleaser and a perfectionist has accepted me and grown along with me. And so it's only deepened the connections that I have and the relationships that I have. Um, And that being said, I have less pain physically in my body. I feel more health physically in my body. And meanwhile, I still go to medical doctors. I haven't been able to get off all of my prescriptions and I am okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at with that. And so it all sort of works together, but I don't think I ever would have gotten to the place of health that I am now had I not gone into my mental, emotional health as well. You know, I'm so glad that, um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, that 
that you're not saying doctors are not helpful or they're not the answer. Of course, you're, there's going to be situations where you still need medicine. There's going to be situations where you still need that. But lifestyle improvement is possible. I didn't say perfection. I said improvement. And, and so there are things that we can do on a day-to-day basis that is going to um, uh, improve our lifestyle, our way of life. This has been a a great, insightful podcast. Now, before I give you a chance to kind of uh, uh, tell us where we can find out more about you, um, what is is the one thing that, that you would really want listeners to take away from your story? If you don't mind, kind of point us uh, to your book. How can we find out more about you, what you're doing, and also, uh, of course, your book? Sure. Thank you. So um, my husband and I have uh, created a project we work on together called Go Bucket Yourself. So to specifically get my book, you can go to gobucketyourself.com forward slash books, and you'll find a link to purchase my book, as well as, um, I don't know when this podcast will be aired, but if you pre-order the book before February 1st, there's also a link there to get the free 30-day companion journal that I um, made to go along with the book for your own personal healing um, that takes you through my own journaling steps and then some prompts that might help expedite your own healing as well. Um, I'm on social media under imperfectprogress.me at Instagram and um, yeah, they can connect with me either of those ways by going to that site or social media. I'd love to help and connect with you in any way I might be able to. Absolutely. And so, yes, they will get this in plenty of time to be able to get those discounts before February. This will release um, a week from this Friday. So not this Friday, but the following Friday. But for our listeners, it'll be today. And so uh, anyway, yes, you'll have plenty of time. So please go bucket yourself. And imperfectprogress.me is her tag for uh, Instagram. And so uh, are you on Facebook? I am on Facebook. Okay. I'm on Facebook under my personal yep. name. Yep. So okay. It, Great. It's yep. Yep. All and right. they can find me there too. That's that's a fine spot. Um Okay. Sure. All right. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us and we have uh really valued this time. Uh if you will hold on just for one minute, as for our listeners, we will see you in the next couple of days. <laughs> 